0: So a couple of weeks ago, um, Cody started a series, and um, and uh, today I'm going to finish this series, and uh, I want here's my here's my uh, here's my thought for the day. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you how many pictures am I going to give you? I'm going to give you three, maybe four pictures today. I want you to take with you, okay? And so the first picture is how many people like to walk? Just go for a walk. How many people? Yeah, not me. So. I believe that a walk is best done on top of two wheels with 450 cc's underneath you. That's how I walk. So I am not a great walker kind of guy. Um, I'll give me a dirt bike and I'll, I'd love that. Um, uh, quad maybe. So, but if I were to talk to those of you who do like walking, it would be interesting for me to get from you a survey of what makes a great walk. You know, what makes a walk great? Some walks are better than the others, I'm assuming. I don't know. I've not done many. Um, but... Uh, and so I just need to tell you that I, cause the idea of a good walk is kind of oxymoronic to me. So, um, So, here is the deal. What makes a good walk? So, I recently had a good walk. Okay, it wasn't that recent. It was recent for me. It was last fall. That was the last walk I took. But anyway, uh, so, this walk was a really good walk, and I want to tell you why. And it's not um, what you think it is. So, I'm going to tell you about this walk, and I'm going to describe it, and it's going to be kind of slow-paced, which is appropriate for a walk, but it needs to be because it is a part of the picture I want you to carry with you, because we all carry with us pictures of our lives, how our life is going, what it looks like. Etc. And I want us to maybe change that picture a little bit. So here's the walk. I was, we were out of uh, out of the area uh, with my family and uh, my grandkids. Early in the morning came and said, "Papa, let's go for a walk." And we we're out in the country, and we we're out in a, in a at a place where a little kind of a neighborhood of little farmettes, kind of things, and ranches and so on. And so um, we walk. And so I want you to picture this place, if you will. We go outside. We go um, down through there's not really a yard, but onto the driveway, which is gravel, and the the gravel driveway goes down several hundred feet. Maybe a couple of acres worth um, down to a little gravel road, and so as we're walking hand in hand, there's a pasture here, green pasture fenced in, and, and a gate here, and there's another pasture kind of drops off over here, and we see in this pasture over here four deer just sitting there, just uh, in the morning, it was early in the morning, and and they're just kind of sitting there, kind of waking up, and so we see the deer, and they don't even budge. They, they, the kids look at them, and and then we walk past the horse barn, and and the kids want to go in the horse barn, so we walk in the horse barn. No horses there at that point, so. We just kind of throw the hay around a little bit and we, so we continue our walk and. And we're holding hands. We go down through the front gate and we open the front gate and they grab my hands and say, Well, we're going to go which way, which way. And so let's go that way. So, so we turn down the gravel road this way and we walk a little bit and we see a couple of horses the neighbor has. So we go over and we say hi to the horses and they're not that interested in us, but the kids didn't know that. So um, we say hi to the horses and then we turn around and we see across the street that that farmer has a bunch of goats eating, like, you know, 12. Eating all of the underbrush, and so we go and watch the goats. And some of them even come over and let us feed them grass. And the others are climbing on top of you know buildings and being crazy. And so we have a big laugh. And then we and then we hold hands. and We continue our walk. And and as we're walking, my granddaughter who is uh, five is 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 um, very concerned with the gravel we're walking because some of the rocks are just too beautiful to leave behind. And so we begin to collect beautiful rocks. And we begin to collect these beautiful rocks, and then we hold hands, we walk a little further. And my grandson, who is three, has his cowboy boots on, which somehow he has come to believe are for kicking dirt. And so every step he is kicking gravel, because that's what boots are for, evidently. And so he's doing this, she's collecting rocks, and we're walking. And then we walk by another little farm, and the dogs come out to greet us, and there's this scare, and they get close to me, and then they realize the dogs aren't going to attack, them, and they're okay. and, And then somewhere along the way, they realize that all the walking we've been doing so far has been downhill. And they're smart little kids. And after inquiring whether I would carry them back up the hill, to which I said, no. They decided the walk probably ought to terminate at that point, because they had to walk all the way back uphill. At which point we had a negotiation about who was going to carry the beautiful rocks. I informed her I was not carrying those rocks, and some of them became less beautiful and got left behind. (laughs) And so we start back up the hill, holding hands and walking, and there's oak trees lining the streets, hanging out over the driveway and out over the gravel road, and there's beautiful grass on the sides. And we stop to pick up some acorns under the oak trees, and then we resume our walk, and we eventually make it back home. Now, let me tell you what the great part of that walk was. It was not the oak trees. It was not the goats. It was not the horses. It was not the dogs. It was not the barn. It was, not, it was, not, it was that we were walking together. See, my memory, my, my physical memory of that is not all of that. It's not the perfect temperature. It's not the sunshine. And all of that was there. It was the feel of those two little hands because they were taking a walk with Papa. I hope in the years to come, I have many, many more walks with the kids and they with me. Because the beauty of that walk was not the environment. It wasn't the ditches we climbed through. It wasn't the places we went. It's that we were with each other. What if our life, we talked the first week about the why do you live your life and last week the how, but what? What is the point of life? We're going to solve that in the next 20 minutes. What is the point of life? But what if life is just that simple? It's just a walk in the park. What if that's what life is supposed to be, a walk in the park? Everything in you just went, really, he's going to try to sell that stuff? He has no idea the world I live in. That's just silly. Well, okay, maybe. What if it's not? What if this concept of life as a walk in a park or maybe a garden it's just that simple. And if you get that right, everything else will fall into place. And if you don't get that right, nothing else falls into place. What if it were that simple? So let's just stop for a minute, okay? Um, so let's just point out the obvious. That's an absurd idea, isn't it? Matter of fact, let's just do this. If, if I were to ask you to rate, I ask you to rate how you're feeling a minute ago. How about if I rated the complexity of your life? How would you just stop for a moment? And the complexity of your life is a one, it's just a walk in the park, A 10, I got three kids under five. Chaos. Rate it. Where are you at in your life? How complex is your life? One to 10. Anybody under five? A few people under five, okay. Anybody a one? Because the rest of us would like to take lessons. Our life is complex, so how absurd it would be that I get up and say, life is a walk in the park. Can I remind you that when we were created by God in the book of Genesis, we were created to live in a garden. And that at one point in the garden, now it wasn't without meaning or purpose, we were put in that garden to subdue the earth, to name the animals. They were, it was missional. There was purpose. There was meaning. There were things to do, but they weren't burdensome. They weren't toilsome. They weren't painful. We were put there for one reason, relationship. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It's talking about the relationship within the Trinity. God has always been with. It's a relationship. We were put in the garden to be with God. Remember when God came to the garden and said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Oh, we, we were naked and ashamed, so we hid. And God's going, who told you you were naked? The relationship was broken because something had happened. The thing they were supposed to do is to walk. Into, matter of fact, in that passage, in chapter three of Genesis, they were walk in the cool of the evening in the garden, because that's what God did. It was to walk with them. And something interrupted that. Something messed that up, but it doesn't change the point of life. The point of life is to walk with God. matter of fact, Micah says this, Micah 6 eight. check this out. This, in the New Testament, we always take the love God and love your neighbor yourself as kind of the rule of life. What about this one? Watch this. If you look at Micah 6 8, he has shown you, O mortal, or O man, or woman, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I believe the first two are an outgrowth of the last one. To love mercy, to act justly, comes from walking humbly with God. What if the point of life is just to walk humbly with God? And everything else, if you get that right, everything else works out. It'll take you amazing places. You'll see amazing scenery. You'll do amazing things. But if you don't get that one right, none of the other stuff matters. What if it's just that simple? You see, the walk with the grandkids was not what we saw. It wasn't where we went. It was that we were with each other. We were holding hands. We were with each other. So what interrupts that? What interrupts that process of walking humbly with God? Well, Us it's that humbly part that messes us up. That's what messed up, messed up Adam and Eve. You see, in the garden, they had the opportunity to walk with God, which is what they were created to do. And they had meaningful, purposeful jobs and they had all that stuff, but they wanted something else. And the, and the lie to them from the serpent was, if you'll eat of this fruit, the one that you're not supposed to, if you eat of that, you're going to be in charge. You're going to be like God. He's not going to be in control anymore. You don't have to humble yourself. You don't have to be something less than you can be God. It's about control. Every one of us makes our life more complex because we want control. We want to be in charge, right? So that string that you tied earlier, if you take that string out, of all those blessings, take that complexity number in your life. You know, the complexity, seven, eight, whatever it was, complexity. How many of that is generated from God's blessing versus your own expectations and desires and wants? Much of the complexity in our life is self-imposed because we're trying to gain control. We're trying to be God. Can't sleep at night because you're worried about the stock market. That's the dumbest thing ever. You can't control the stock market, right? And yet you have such a deep... So recently I made my life really complex. Um, I got poison oak. Now that's the reason I wasn't here last week. And by the way, just to correct, it wasn't poison ivy. It's not manly ivy. I'm sick from ivy. No, I got... (laughs) Sick from oak, big, strong poison, okay? So I just want to clarify that, all right? Let's just get that out. So I was up at a friend's ranch in California helping clear some brush. And somehow, about five days later, we all broke out. Only I broke out worse than everybody else. I'd never had it before, ever. And I uh, went to the doctor. He gave me a little bottle of nothing. And, uh, and by the next day, it was twice as bad and the next day, twice as bad. And so now the, the, the square footage coverage is starting to increase. So I go to another doctor. He gave me a bigger bottle of nothing, And now it's really bad. And so it's Saturday. I'm supposed to speak the next day. I call Cody up and say, I can't sit still. I haven't slept in five nights. I was waking up every hour putting ice packs on my body trying to get the itching to stop. And and so, I mean, it was bad. It was bad. And and I said, can you cover it? And he was very gracious and did a great job, and I I so appreciate it. And and so I go to the third doctor, finally get to a dermatologist, which is where I should have started, duh. And here is the interaction. I get there, what do you got? I think I got poison, okay. And I take off, or I show my arm, and and the response is, oh, wow. And then I take off my shirt, because I'm, oh, my goodness. And then I show my legs, and here's the response, I quote, we got to get a picture of this. <laughs> that is never a good thing when you're at your doctor and your doctor says, we got to get a picture of this. What's worse is I was in so much discomfort. I didn't care. Take a picture whatever you need to take a picture of. Let's get this fixed for Pete's sakes. So I made my life a little more complicated. Next few days, next three weeks. But there's a good thing as a pastor, I get to, if I can figure out a way to use that as a sermon illustration, it's a tax write-off. <laughs> I can at least redeem it. So here is my illustration from my poison oak, not ivy. So we found out that this, the way this spreads is that it's an oil. And everybody knows, you know, if it's, if it's three, if the leaves are three, let them be or whatever. Well, in the winter, there's no leaves, so I didn't know which one was poison poison oak. And it turns out the oil that is poison that gets on your skin that irritates it isn't just on the leaves, it's on the stem, it's in the middle, it's everything. And so here I am, I'm cutting it with a chainsaw, it's spitting all over me. We put it in the fire. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and, it, and so now we've realized we've got to go back and wash every item of clothing. We're probably going to burn the gloves we were using when we were working. We've got to wash the tractor seat because it may be on there, and the steering wheel, this is how pervasive this oil is. It's, I mean, I've got it on my back. How do you get it on your back? I don't know. I, I don't know. We've got to wash everything completely. Here's what I've decided. Like Adam and Eve, the desire to control is so pervasive, I have to be washed on a regular basis of this need to control. Even my relationship with God. I even want to control my relationship with God. So Matt, uh, Stephen Finney, who recommended the book I mentioned earlier, has recommended another one. He's got two on the reading list. That's, that's a, that's a pretty, good, pretty good record for him. And, and this one is by a guy named Sky Jethani. And this guy suggests that we are so bent, there's a word that goes in front of it, by the way, and would be appropriate in this case, on, on having our way of being in control that we even view our relationship with God in that way. So for example, have you ever met anybody who, who said they were Christian and yet they were scared to death of God? I have a friend who who I knew, and he grew up as Christian. And anytime something bad, and he had a lot of guilt because, well, he'd done a lot of bad things, and uh, and he didn't know how to receive redemption. He didn't understand forgiveness. And every time something bad in his life, he, as an adult, a very successful adult, he would say, "Yeah, God got me back on that one. Yeah, God's, God got me." What kind of God? What kind of God do you have? A vengeful God is kind of trying to catch you messing up so he can smash you. That's not God. But here's where that comes from. It comes from the need to be in control. So if bad things happen, it's hard for me to just say bad things happen. If I can say that bad things happen because I didn't perform well, then I can be in control because the better I perform, the better God's going to treat me. See, that's what Jesus had a problem with the religious leaders. They all wanted to keep all the rules so they can manipulate God to treat them better because they needed to be in control. You follow me? Sometimes I I need to be in control. I just say there is no God. (laughs) I need to be in control so bad I'll deny that there's a God. It takes more faith to believe there's no God than to believe there is a God. It takes a lot more faith. But if my need to be in control, my need to be my own God is so strong, I'll live in denial of the obvious facts. And I'm not talking like silly facts. I'm talking about scientific facts. This whole thing started somewhere by someone. If I have such a strong, pervasive poison in my system that I need to be in control... Some of us even bring this to our faith. As Christians, I want a a God that I'll create in my image. Not me created in his image. I'll create God in my image. Matter of fact, I want a God who gives me good stuff. There's a whole theology built around this. You believe in Jesus, you're going to get a new car and a better house and a better job. Which, by the way, you might because you'll stop drinking and, and partying and being stupid all the time. You might actually do better. But that's not the guarantee from Scripture. God didn't guarantee that. God can guarantee he'd walk with you and he'd make you into somebody more like Jesus. He didn't tell you two cars in the garage a better house. He didn't do that. But my need to control is that if I have to even control who God is, I have to project that image onto God, I'll do that. Because my need to control, my need to be in charge. What if the point of faith was to give up control? What if that's the point of faith? What if I have to give up control and just walk with him, trusting that he will lead me amazing places. I want to suggest to you that the complexity of our life is very much linked to all the things that we're trying to control that we can't. What if I need to give up control of the outcomes? We're not in control of hardly anything. We fool ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We're in Let me tell you, if you're married, you're not even in control of where you're going to lunch today. right? We just fool ourselves. We think we had this, this, I'm at the center of the universe, so I control so much. You don't, you don't control squat. Let's just be honest. We really don't. And the sooner we realize that, the better we're going to be. Let me give you a serious illustration. of uh, that. Again and again, I talk to a, a married person whose spouse is struggling with something. It might be loss or mourning or bitterness or abuse, or it might be addiction. And again and again, I have to try to find ways to say to this spouse, you don't get to fix this. You've got to give up the outcomes on this one. You may have married this person thinking you could fix them because that's who you are. You're a fixer and you probably thought you could fix them because you may have seen this even when you married them. Guess what? You can't fix this. You're going to have to trust God because there's very little in our life we can really fix. What a tough thing to have a, a, a spouse who's addicted and you can't fix it. Or a child who's addicted, and you can't fix it, but God can, and the sooner we stop living in the denial, thinking that we can fix it, that we're in charge, that we're in control, the sooner we let go of that, and let God truly be in control, the sooner he will change us, the sooner we'll have the kind of impact on the world that we want to have, because we're trusting him, and we're walking with him. It's not that what you do, it's the with part, remember? The sooner you start walking with him, the more impact your life can have. We've got to give up some things, and just hang on, so I was, I, was thinking, I was thinking about this, this idea of, of what we have to give up and giving up the control, giving up the worry, giving up so many things. Giving up, as we do in Chicago, we vote early and often. you got to give up early and often. you gotta, you got to let the withness take care of you. So um, I was trying to think of what this looks like. And so a lot of people misunderstand that you become fatalistic or passive when you give up ultimate control. And, and the picture comes when, when you're teaching um, someone to swim, uh, oftentimes the instructor will have them just relax. They're trying to teach them the buoyancy of this thing, right? And they'll just hold them with, you know, just, just, just enough to teach them they're going to float, right? A lot of us think that's what faith is like. It's not been my experience, uh, so I had this other, this other picture. I told you I was going to give you a few pictures today. This one, I hope it translates. Um, and I haven't researched it, and it's just off the top of my head. And if it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry, but it really works for me. Okay, so do you know what an exoskeleton is? Not a scientifically, but a medical kind of exoskeleton. So like if a soldier is, um, is wounded in war and becomes a, a paraplegic, that they have machinery, they've been working on it since the 70s, that they can equip so it kind of becomes an outside skeleton and muscles and through hydraulics and stuff and, and it allows them to actually walk and to move and to stand up. Have you seen this at all? They also do it with people in rehab. Um, there's uh, technology now that they're putting on so that they can strap this external muscle power and structure onto them and the machine is sensitive to how much strength they actually have. So maybe they're learning to walk again. The machine can sense how much strength they actually have and whatever is missing to hold them up. So you need X amount of units of strength. I don't know what that would be. It, somebody knows that probably in here. That machine understands how much you have and makes up the difference so that and then it decreases what it provides so that you are getting stronger and stronger as you rehab. Do you follow me? All right, so the picture is walking between these parallel bars kind of things and this exoskeleton provides what you're missing. Or if you're not going to recover, it provides everything and and but you can still the the goal is someday to have people walk. Do you follow me so far? Are you with me? Okay, so um, so I was thinking about how I've experienced God uh, leading me and working in my life and what I think it means to walk humbly with God. And I think it is like the exoskeleton of the Holy Spirit, but it's not exo, it's, what would be the opposite? Intro in, what? That one. It's, uh, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit whatever strength I'm missing, it makes up. My willpower is very weak. I can make big decisions, but I can't carry them out very well. I can go on a diet and, and it'll last as long as that decision took to make. But then I need some willpower that comes from somewhere and I don't have it. Uh, addiction, bitterness, whatever it is, it's all the same. And the Holy Spirit provides what strength I don't have. In the meantime, strengthening my spiritual muscles and we walk And so here's, here's the part I haven't researched yet. And and if somebody here knows it, please tell me afterwards. I love to know. Somehow there is an interface between what that person wants to do. Let's walk forward. Let's walk backward. And what though that machine does. Do you know what I'm saying? So in my mind, I'm sure it's something nerve endings or something, but uh, uh, in my mind, it's a, it's a 29 pin plug. You guys follow me? So the machine plugs into my brain and together we, we cooperate to make this thing happen. The Holy Spirit doesn't just carry me through my life. The Holy Spirit expects me to use every bit of strength I've got, every good decision I can make, and yet I don't have enough. But in that connection, that walking with Him, that's the connection. It's like my grandkids right there. I could control them. If there was danger, I could do this. If we needed to go that, I can direct them. It was that connection that provided the safety and the joy of that walk. It's in that connection with God that I have the privilege of saying, it is a walk with God. We may go through creeks, valleys, go over mountains. He'll provide the power I don't have and life is a walk. The problem is a lot of us try to walk and we get so busy we let go. The plug's unconnected and we're trying to do it on our own and life gets really hard because you don't have that kind of strength. I don't have that kind of strength. I need to stay plugged in. I need to stay plugged in the Holy Spirit so I have the power, the strength, the wisdom to know how to walk and to move forward. What if you evaluated your life by how you walk? How's your walk? As a matter of fact, some of you can't sleep at night because you're worried about all kinds of stuff. What if you just ended your today in, today in bed and you said, how was my walk today? And if it was a good, we need to say, it's a good walk. Thank you, Lord. Let's do it again tomorrow. And you go to sleep. And if you didn't hang on so tight today, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I let go. It wasn't a good walk. My fault. Let's do better tomorrow and go to sleep. What if it just looked like that? And at the end of your life, you don't evaluate how many buildings you own or how big your bank account is, but you just say, it was a good walk. God took me amazing places. But the best part was I was with him. Walk humbly with your God. And then you'll love mercy. You'll love mercy and you'll act justly. Walk humbly. This week, I'm going to encourage you to just be mindful of your walk every day. Am I walking with Jesus right now? Even as I'm taking the kids to school, even as I'm heading to the office, am I walking with him? Even as I'm negotiating this deal, am I walking with him? Am I mindful of his presence? Am I dependent upon his strength to walk me through this, to grow me in this process? Because at the end of the day, if you've had a good walk, life is good. Let's pray. Lord God, I love you. I thank you for walking with me. This walk that we're taking together, Lord, is not because I deserve it. And it's not always because I'm hanging on as tight as I should. But it's because you never leave me, you never forsake me, and you're always there. And if I will just consciously reach up and take your hand, you will infuse me with the wisdom, the insight, the power, the strength that I need to keep walking. And Lord, the point of this walk is not the destination, it is that I'm walking with you. I'm so grateful for those walks that I remember with my little grandkids, and I hope there will be many, many more to come. As I feel the softness of their little hands and, and we talk about things that matter to them, it's that being with each other, Lord, that I'll remember. And the thing that matters in my life is being with you. So let me be present. Let me truly be with you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.